Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. The crop. Hope solidifies something. I'm glad you have something to take back with you, these little keys um, to remember what you actually did. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, because a lot of times you do something like this, you leave camp, and life gets busy, doesn't it? It does. Like, I, I feel like we're busier now than any time in human history. Like, we're so busy, and everything that we've invented should be making our life so easy and giving us more time to do stuff. You think about it. I mean, go back 100 years, and to get somewhere, you were either on a horse, some of you did that this week anyway, um, or you were walking there. And maybe a little more than 100 years. I think we've had a car for a while now. Anyways, um, but most of human civilization, it took us forever. And the car itself should speed up everything. How much time did I save by not spending hours trying to get to Walmart, but instead I got there in 15 minutes? I mean, like, this is awesome. Or how much time did I save microwaving a meal or just turning on the stove to do something? And it just heats up. Sometimes we're impatient with that. If you're going to make a pizza or, or throw some pizza rolls in the oven or something, <clears throat> I'm impatient with the preheating setting rather than gathering wood and so forth and making a fire like adventure camp or something. Like this is, everything we have should make everything easier. Or like you have a question about something and you don't have to go down to the library and look it up. You've got a phone right in front of you except here. Like, you know, that is, we should have so much free time on our hands, but somehow we fill every little nook and cranny of our lives with something that just distracts us. And some of you guys have made a decision for Christ this week, and maybe multiple decisions, but a decision to follow him for the first time, or maybe a decision to get back on track. And regrettably, some of you probably make that decision annually. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands there, but you know, like, it's so easy at camp to surrender something to Jesus, get back in the the rat race of life, and then when everything kind of starts going wrong, instead of us reaching back out to Jesus or jumping into his word, we look forward to that moment at camp where we can do it again. Even so, I hear this from students, even in my own youth group back home, like, you know what, I just really need to get my life back on track, and camp's next month, and I really can't wait. I'm like, why are you waiting a month? Would you do that for anything else that you wanted to do, right? Like my kids... You know, you know I've, I have teenagers, and so they will ask, like, oh, can I, can I do such and such? I'm like, you know, we really got all this going on and everything. What about tomorrow we go down there and, do, oh, I don't care then. It's like, never mind. Like, what? what? It's not important enough to wait till tomorrow. It's got to be done right now. You know, you know that mood that we get in where we're like, we got to do everything right now. And so what we're going to look at tonight, hopefully, will help you with the next bit. Like, what's coming down the pike? How do we continue to follow God? How do we get those rhythms that we developed at camp? I talked about those this week. Things that you don't normally do, we are valuing fun more than you do in regular life. Nobody's, you know, like, um, this math test doesn't look very fun. And your teacher's like, you're right. Let's redo the whole thing. Let's make it interesting and fun. And maybe we'll do it on one foot. Like, no, they don't care, right? I mean, they care, but they don't care about fun. We're prioritizing fun here, which I think is probably one of the things God would love us to do more often. We're prioritizing 
fellowship, just hanging out together, breaking bread together, eating meals together, worshiping together, looking at God's word together and asking questions about it and diving deep. And you don't have that. I promise you, you're going to go back into your house and there's not, you're not going to wake up early in the morning and then like everybody rushes to, maybe at your house, everybody rushes to the table and somebody leads on the microphone and everything. And we, we pray together. And then like later on, um, you've got somebody who comes in and checks in on you. He's like, hey, let's do a small group session. Where? In the living room. We're all in there. We're just waiting for you. And you go in, you finish small group, you meander over to the garage, and there's a worship band. They're a garage band, right? And then they just start rocking out and praising God, and there's screens that come down over the toolboxes. And you're like, this is cool. I can totally focus. on All that stuff is probably not going to be there. And if you happen to see fog curling out from underneath the one of the rooms in your house, it's probably a fire. Get out, right? I mean, it's not going to be the same as camp. It's going to be a little different. And if we don't prioritize those rhythms when we go home, things can kind of mess up. God designed you a specific way on purpose. And when you become a believer, that one part of us that was messed up, that couldn't connect with God, that he's fixed through what Jesus did on the cross, rewires us totally. So how many of you are 13 in here? We got 13-year-olds present. When I was 13, I was in a, you can put your hands down. I was in a really big church, like a big church. Like sometimes you call big church if you happen to go to church in here. That's where the adults go. But our church was just big. There were several thousand people at the church I grew up in. And on Sunday nights, which is like Sunday nights, anybody ever been to a Sunday night service? It's like Sunday morning service, but the songs aren't quite as good and the sermon's kind of eh. All right. It's pretty much the same thing other than that. It's exactly like the pastor's like, I spent way less time preparing this one. And uh, most of our band is off right now or half the choir or whatever kind of church you have. Uh, We have three less handbells, whatever. I've been trying to cover all my bases here, right? Okay, you got handbells? (laughs) She's like, that's my jam. I got handbells. We got a hunchback, ringing bells. We've got everything. Anyway, so um, the, the first thing I did to serve in church was 13 years old. I remember this. Wasn't even a follower of Jesus yet. Like that didn't happen until 15, but I, I was kind of opposed to God at the time. So I wanted to volunteer somewhere where I didn't have to hear the message. That's kind of a bad motivation for working in the two-year-olds. So they had like, and I still love two-year-olds, and you guys do too. By the way, thank you for loving on Ezra so much this week. Like, this is his, I was going to say his first camp experience. It's his first RVR camp experience. The boy's been drug around to all kinds of camps. Um, so much so, like, we had a camp with our church earlier this, this year, and when we left, he said, I'm going to say bye to my family. He's talking about the kids. And we pulled up to the next camp, which was in Iowa. And he gets out of the car, sees teenagers everywhere. And he's like smiling ear to ear. And he's looking back and forth until he realizes he doesn't recognize anybody. He's like, where'd my family go? And his eyes started tearing up. I was like, this is going to be your family too. And we told, and he was fine. He loved it. So when we got here and he saw teenagers, he's just like, teenagers. He didn't say teenagers, but he's just like immediately loved you guys and you guys loved on him. I know some of you probably have little siblings that you get annoyed with. And so it's kind of easy for a two-year-old to all of a sudden enter the nine square and just throw it over. And you're like, okay, it didn't go in that time. That kid's out. But you guys are like, no, do it again. Oh, you got me out. Like who does that? Who volunteers to be out? And you guys just, it's really cool. Like really, thank you. 
You guys have been awesome, okay? So I have always loved two-year-olds, and apparently you guys do too, so you'll track with me here. I volunteered in the two-year-olds. Our church was so big, there were three classes of 22-year-olds, 62-year-olds. That's like a church of two-year-olds, right? And I'm a 13-year-old that they let work with two-year-olds, and they would bring like the troublemaking boys, like the ones that didn't listen, into our class and swap them out for some of the girls who behave, because that's always how it is at two. The girls are like, oh, what can I do to help? And the boys are like, glue, you know? So, like, <laughs> so we had all the, like, the tough kids in there that we would wrestle around with and everything, and, and I'm 13, so I'm having a blast with it. And there was this kid, now all two-year-olds are not created equal. I mean, they are in the eyes of God, but they don't all develop at the same rate. That's what I meant to say. This kid, Tommy, was a glue eater. This kid, Tommy, would put anything in his mouth regardless of what, like you had to, you had to be careful. I was told, the boys weren't allowed to change diapers, which I was fine with, but I was told he often tried to reach down and put things in his mouth. Like he's just like reaching for whatever was in there. Like, hmm, chocolate. You know, like, no, 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 Tommy, no. So they had to like watch him closely. So one down over the craft table, the, you know, you've seen those craft tables in little nurseries that are like super, super low, probably like where Jesus had the last supper where they were reclining at the table, not like the picture. Have you seen the picture where they're all on one side, like it's a sitcom? Like Jesus said at the last supper, whoever wants in the picture, get on my side of the table. He didn't really say that. But like, and, and then they all struck a pose. I don't know what this was. Like somebody asked them a question, we're like, I don't know. Like half the disciples are doing this. Um, but we had this low table to the ground and we had this, these papers out and we were gonna help them with the glue and they didn't have glue sticks back then because I'm old. They just had the Elmer's glue, you know, you squeeze out and I'm putting glue on the stuff for the kids and then they have glitter, which is like Satan's dandruff. <laughs> I'm not a fan of glitter at all. Vacuum cleaners, no vacuum cleaner has been invented, rainbow or otherwise that can recognize glitter. It picks it up for a second, computes, drops it three feet later. It's like, we can't do anything with this. And the glitter's there. If you get glitter on your forehead and somebody tells you about it and you try to get it off, it just migrates. And you think they're messing with you. You're like, no, 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 it's on your nose. You said it was my forehead. Yeah, no, it's on your nose now. No, it's on your chin. No, it's just, uh, it's gone. And you know it's not gone. It's still there. The glitter's evil. Anyway, so we have the glitter. And back then, glitter's gotten so, like, high-tech. They added this little thing like the spices have with holes in it. So you can shake a little bit of glitter, but back then you just unscrewed the bottle like primitive times when I was growing up and it was just glitter out for the masses, a strong wind and you're all, yeah, you're covered. So I had the lid off and I'm watching Tommy cause he's a glue eater and I'm making sure he doesn't get the glue. And I'm like, okay, I'm passing this around, passing this around, passing this around. And I put glue on somebody's and I get to the next person and everything. And I look down at the glitter and it's significantly lower. It's a bottle like this and there's probably about that much missing. And I've only dusted one little kid's paper with it. And then I look at Tommy. And I'm thinking, if I don't do something about this kid and this glitter, he's gonna poop an ornament. So I'm like, Tommy, Tommy, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. I want to go like pat him on the back and get him to spit it out or something. I'm like, hey, don't swallow, buddy. Just look at me. Keep your cheeks big. You're doing great. Come on, Tommy. And I go and I pat his back and it's like, 
It's like a seven-year-old's birthday party. A girl, she's like, this is the best, right? Everybody looks like they were in some kind of disco fever movie. And it's just everywhere. And this kid was like this all the time. Now, there were some smart kids. I can't remember their names. And that's how it goes. Because your teachers know, like if your teacher knows your name by the second day of school, she doesn't have a good memory. You're not acting right. They they won't memorize the smart kids until they start like looking at your papers and they're like, oh my gosh, this is so, such a refreshing thing to read a paper that was written so well. But second day of school, if they already know your name, shape up. All right. So like, I I don't remember any of the smart kids who knew what they were doing, but I remember Tommy, right? So this was a thing that they used to have. There's all kinds of things you can put shapes in now, but Tupperware, like they would come house to house and do parties. This is a vintage Tupperware finger guillotine. Um, the way you got the stuff out was the kid had to pull this open and it's kind of sharp and they'd stick their fingers in and grab the things and if they didn't let go in time, it just like, I mean, listen to that. This is old and it's wearing out, but at its heyday, it could really chop a finger, right? So like kids would be like, ah! You know? So there's shapes in it. There's like yellow shapes. Let me dump some of these out for a second. All right, all right, all right. It's got all these shapes. It's got different gons, hexagons, pentagons, octagons, all the gons, you know? They're still there, but they're gone. And there's a star. There's all these different things. There's the plus sign, which I'm sure has a real name for it, shape-wise, that I don't know. I'll ask Ezra later. He probably knows. It's an X, like this. Well, then, I don't know. I call it a plus sign, because here, it looks like a plus, but... You can cockeye it, whatever. So, like, we would hand him the circle, and he would bring it up to me and want it emptied, and all the kids did. They'd just walk up and be like, hmm? And you shake the shapes out, and then they, the smart kids are like, they, they turn it over, they find the right shape, they drop the circle in, but not Tommy. Not Tommy. I can't even get it out now. I'm going to, like, I'm like, oh, that almost cut me. All right, anyways. So we'd hand him the circle. And I would line it up for him. I'd be like, Tommy, Tommy, can you push it in? Just smack it, just a little tap there, right in the hole. And he would, he would go over to it, and he would go. <laughs> he would take this out of my hand, and he would turn it over. And he would find, like, what is that, a pizza slice? Anyways, he'd find, like, a tricycle. Tricycle. <laughs> Triangle. All right? He'd find like the triangle and he would just start pushing on it and he would get madder and madder and madder. And he'd be like, ah, 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 ah. And I'd be like, Tommy, let me see it. Let me see it, buddy. Okay, look here. It's round. Round. Does this look like the circle? It does look like the circle. Tommy, want me to help you? Let Mr. Nate help you. We're going to put it right there. Get ready. Take your hand. Okay, can I hold it? We're going to go like this. And he'd wrestle it away from me and grab the shape, grab this out of my hand, and he would start the process over again. (laughs) And I I wonder, like, what was, I don't know what's become of Tommy. I don't know what his job is today. It's not sorting shapes, (laughs) if that's a job. It's something else. He's probably brilliant by now. He figured it out. Or he's like, or he's like, a, like special forces. And he's like, he's got some guy's head and he's like, ah, 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 ah. You know, he's, God can use any skill, all right? So, but here's the thing, guys. 
When it comes to coming to Christ, when it comes to coming to Christ, the Bible talks about us being born again. Like he, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things become new. So God re, like he changes up the shapes and the patterns that we have. And he talks about us renewing our mind. Did you know that like, it's so easy to start any type of addiction. And I'm not talking about drugs and stuff, but anything, anything you're addicted to, anything you keep going back to, your brain literally gets rewired to do those things. Even an example like this. So this is not good for you, but back when I worked construction, somebody told me one day, they saw me drinking a two liter of Mountain Dew on a roof, all right? And that was my, that was my drink at the time. I was like 20 years old. And he was like, hey, that'll dehydrate you. And I was like, beg to differ. You've heard that before, right? It'll dehydrate you. But what does it really mean to dehydrate me? Anyways, dehydration puts you in the hospital typically. And I, I was like, dude, I don't think so. It might not hydrate me as well. And he's like, no, it dehydrates you. I was like, then explain how I haven't had water in like six months. <laughs> I drink Mountain Dew for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner, and in between. I drink about, and I was doing the math. I drank like five liters a day, which is not good at all. I'm lucky to be awake right now. <laughs> I mean, to be alive. Um, like, or to be asleep, or what? I don't know, whatever. ADHD, LMNOP. So, I drank all of that Mountain Dew and everything. Now, when I decided to stop because my doctor was like, you'll die. Um, the next day, I woke up and was tired. And I went to the fridge and I was gonna grab, I kept them in one liters, and I was gonna grab the one liter and take it. And I was like, oh, that's right, I'm not drinking this anymore. And I was almost down to just like that one liter. There might've been two things in there. And I poured them down the sink to keep from taking it. And by the time I got to work, I had a splitting headache. But later that day, it was a migraine and I had to go home. Now, it is not because God designed me to have Mountain Dew and lack of Mountain Dew will cause headaches. It is because your brain is kind of a free floating thing within your skull. When you jump, when you headbang, anything like that, you know, all of a sudden, your brain would be in pain at all times. But it actually produces certain chemicals that keep you from having a headache on a regular basis. And when I substitute it with something else that can keep me from having a headache, like caffeine, my body stops producing the regular chemicals that keep me from having a headache. And it just relied on the Mountain Dew. And so when I took that away, the brain was like, we don't know what to do now. We're just going to hurt. And it took me a while to rewire my brain to where I could actually produce those chemicals again. I had to be off for quite a bit. I, I consumed quite a bit of, not quite a bit of Tylenol, but Tylenol and ibuprofen over the next couple of days and kind of weaned myself off of that until the headaches went away. Now I love Dr. Pepper, but not as much. I drink a lot of water. I drink a lot of water these days. So... When I drank a Mountain Dew again, about six months later, it did not taste good to me. It tasted like something you put in a hummingbird feeder or something like that. I was like, this is sickening sweet and I don't like it, right? It changed for me. When God starts to rewire who we are and make us new, the same things that we did before don't fit. We try to go back to the same stuff and we go over here and God's like, I've designed certain things. I have 
prepared in advance some good works for you to do, and now you are lined up to get the most joy and the most fulfillment and the most abundance out of doing the things I've called you to do. But we go back and try to do the things we used to do, like cram circles into triangles. We were never meant to do the things that, that we're drawn to with the sin nature. There's always pain. There's always some kind of hurt that comes from it. But it's even worse almost as a Christian because now he's making you new and we're fighting against it. And we do that, it messes us up. And Galatians gives us this kind of antidote, this answer to how to prevent that pain, how to not be a Tommy, right? (laughs) And so if your name is Tommy, by the way, that doesn't mean you eat glue, all right? Just letting you off the hook there. Galatians 5, Paul writes this. And, and as we're talking about freedom and ending the, the, the week on freedom, the horizon you have again uh, in the distance where you see the sun rising and everything, you're like walking towards something different than you ever were. Freedom's horizon is there when we walk towards it. The illustration I used yesterday where Katie was up here helping me, and when we walk towards Jesus, it's effective. When we walk away, it's not. Here's what Paul writes. You, my brothers and sisters, that's anybody who has given their life to Christ, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. In other words, yeah, I'm free, I'm free in Christ, I could do what I want and still be in Christ. He's not gonna be like, oh, that was bad, Nate, now you're not a believer again and you need to repray. He doesn't do that. So I could use my freedom for horrible things. I could be walking the wrong direction and never experience the fullness that God wants me to experience. He says, but that's not what it's for, that's not why you're free. You're not free to indulge in the things you used to indulge in, to try to cram circles into triangles. You're not free for that reason. For the entire law, all the things God had said in the Old Testament were good and things to avoid that were bad. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Think about that for a second. So if I love you, like literally love you, not like in love and weirdness, but like love you, then if I see something you have, that I like too, I don't steal it because I wouldn't want you to steal from me like that. No, I'm just kidding. No, I wouldn't do that because I care about him. Like, why would I take something from somebody that I love? That would be weird. I wouldn't lie to you if I really loved you. I wouldn't hurt you if I loved. So he's like, if you did this, if we really loved our neighbor as much as we loved ourselves, we'd fulfill all the law. You would have to be like, is this wrong? Is this right? I don't know. Is it a loving thing to do to this person right here? If not, probably wrong. If so, probably right. I mean, it's just like, you don't have to know every little thing about the law. If you are loving other people, you're fulfilling that. He said, if you bite and devour each other, now that is figurative. These weren't cannibals he was writing to. (laughs) If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the spirit. In other words, let the Holy Spirit lead you. This is called in Ephesians, the sword of the spirit. So this is what he uses. This is our offensive weapon against the things that we used to do to keep us from falling into the same stuff. Walk by the spirit and you will not, not may not, may may not, may not, it's will not. If you walk by the spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. If you're led by the Spirit, 
You're not under the law. The law, the law had said, hey, you have a warning label on you and you're guilty. Under the spirit, he's removed that. We can walk in freedom. But he's like, no, no, no. You don't have to like, oh, don't do this. Try to do this. Just follow me. If we're walking in the spirit, we don't gratify the desires of the flesh. We're trying to do what God is calling us to do through his word. The acts of the flesh. Now, some of these, like I know you're, you're middle schoolers, but I think you're mature enough to handle some of the words in here. You might be like, oh, that's a funny word. Uh, it might be, but try to handle it because these are serious thing people, things people have actually been involved in. All right, I'm not gonna omit part of the scripture to read a scripture to you. I think you can handle it, all right? So the acts of the flesh, and it calls them acts of the flesh, like things you actually do. Later, it will call the things the spirit does in us, not works or acts, it'll call them fruits. Fruits grow. They're not things you have to do. You're not, you don't see an apple tree over there going, apples, 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 poof. Apples, 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 poof. You know, like, no, it does, it just grows them. An apple tree grows apples. That's what a healthy apple tree does. If it's not growing apples, it's not a healthy apple tree. Or it's the wintertime. All right, now, it says this, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, that's like when you don't get along with people, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, he's not saying that a Christian, a follower of Jesus, can't sin. He's saying that if this is the pattern of your life, most likely you've never been changed by Jesus. Because if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old things are passed away and that everything is becoming new. We weren't meant to try to get circles into triangles anymore. And so he says, but the fruit of the spirit is love. So these aren't things we have to, oh, I gotta be loving, I gotta be loving. If we're following God, if we're allowing the spirit to lead us, and I don't mean he's gonna in the morning be like, hey. I mean, we're reading his word. And like, God has never spoken audibly to me in case you're like, well, he probably speaks to you. He speaks to me, but not audibly. He does it through his word. Sometimes he does it through other people. Somebody will come and be like, man, I've been praying for you. God laid you on my heart. And sometimes I just get this. I don't want to say feeling because feelings are fleeting. But I'm probably going to say feeling because I can't think of a good synonym, all right? But I get this kind of pull or urge to do something that lines up with God's word, and I know it's from God. Like when we were called to adopt, we knew that was from God. We knew it was from God. And even if we didn't, like I, I had some doubts for a moment because we tried to adopt when we first got married. We started, I mean, we hadn't even had tried to have kids yet. We're like, we need to adopt. My wife had two adopted brothers. It was on both of our hearts. We tried to adopt from Russia. And as we were doing the paperwork and stuff, it started coming down the pike that Russia was gonna close the doors to America for adoptions. And so we're like, ah, I guess it's not gonna happen. And I didn't know why God led us to do that. It didn't make sense. We were praying for kids in Russian orphanages and everything, and then nothing. And then about a year after that, we have Luke. Two years after that, we have Leah. We're moving forward. We know in the back of our mind we were supposed to adopt, but I can't pull the trigger on it because I don't know if I misheard God the first time. And I don't wanna feel like an idiot. And when he laid it on our heart strongly in 2019, a year before the pandemic, we adopted during the pandemic. All right, when he laid it on our heart strongly and we were trying to adopt, we we're going through agencies and stuff, but then a pastor friend of mine 
had a friend whose 19-year-old daughter who was pregnant did not want to abort the child and did not want to raise a child at this point. She's like, I can't do it. And they, they said, aren't you guys trying to adopt? We said, we are. We get on FaceTime with her. Her name's Cassie. And we start talking to her and we wanted to hear her story. And her and her sister were two of the last kids adopted from Russia. And I'm like, oh my gosh. She's like, why do you want to adopt? Let me tell you our story. And she's like, I've got chills. Like, this is definitely God, but I'm not a Christian. <laughs> like, I, I'm saying it's God, but I don't know if I believe there's a God. She is a believer now. I think not just because of that moment, but later on she became a believer, which is really cool. We're in her life on a regular basis. Ezra prays for Mama K every night. He calls her Mama K. And his middle name's Cassian, and spelled like Cassie with an N at the end in honor of her. Like, when God leads you to do something, he makes it abundantly clear. And then we had to go out to Washington State. How are you even going to afford to go out there and stay for like three weeks? We don't know when the baby's going to be born exactly. My best friend from third grade on had moved recently. He's in the medical field, and he's running this. I showed you the, the guy I said is a nurse now, and he's bald with the big beard. Remember that one picture or whatever? He's a nurse on the wing of a hospital in Washington State, but his house happens to be about 15 minutes from the hospital where Ezra was going to be born. So he went and stayed with them for three weeks. Like God was lining up everything, like perfectly. Could my job afford to lose me for three weeks as a youth pastor, or I just started youth pastoring? Sure, because well, guess what we're doing for youth ministry in 2020? Online. And so now me and my friend are leading youth from his house. Like, this is my best friend I always talk about. Isn't he a goober? Anyway, so I mean, we just did the whole thing. Like, it was, it was a lot of fun. God, when God lines something up, you know it's God. He's always just laying, making our path straight. And if, if we have the fruit of the Spirit, it's just naturally happening as we follow him. When we're not following him, the fruit doesn't look so good. It looks like an apple tree that doesn't know what it's supposed to be doing. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, that's just forbearance, but patience is the same thing. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. You can't find one law where God's like, hey, try not to be so peaceful. If you guys can maybe not be kind today. No, like, this is like, there's no law against any of these things. They're all good things that the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. And if you'll notice, we had this book for my kids when they were younger, Luke and Leah, called Nine Fruits Alive, and it rhymed. It had nine fruits on a tree and everything. But yeah, that's great that somebody did it, and maybe you've seen that book before. Not accurate, by the way. There are not nine fruits of the Spirit. There's one fruit of the Spirit, and has nine attributes. Just like I can say something is tangy and sweet at the same time, has, could have two attributes, or fuzzy like a peach, and sweet and juicy, like whatever, whatever the attributes you have, it has nine attributes, one fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. In the Greek, still singular. The fruit of the Spirit is this. He produces a fruit in you that has these nine attributes. Because people try to be like, well, here's the fruit God's growing in me, but I'm not so good at the patience. Like, well, it's the same fruit. Awesome. If you're great at patience, you're way ahead of most of us. All right, now, he says, against such there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's part of what he took for us 
right here on the cross. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. That's a weird thing to add to the end. Walk in the Spirit. Don't be conceited. Why conceited? Out of all that list, it wasn't even in the list. Like, why, why is he bringing that up? Here's why. Because as you grow in Christ, it's so easy to forget who you were before Jesus. It's so easy for me to all of a sudden be like, I've been following Jesus for years and years and years since 15. So that's um, 23 years for me. I've been following Jesus. If you're doing the math, I'm 43. Okay, so 23 years I've been following Jesus, and I might not do some of the same stuff you struggle with anymore. I might do some of the stuff you do struggle with, but I might not do all the stuff because I've been a follower of Jesus and I've been walking with him for a long time. It's, it's so easy at that point to be like, oh gosh, I can't believe he said that word. I would never say that word. I follow Jesus, right? Like it's easy to get conceited and think you're, you're big stuff now because God has changed you. I need to remember where I was and why Jesus had to be nailed to a cross because of what I did. Not because of what you did, what I did. I've got to own that. And when you own that and you realize the only reason I'm changed is because the Holy Spirit in me is producing fruit, then I can't take any credit for that. One of the things I didn't understand as a kid, in Revelation it says that we, we get crowns and everything. Have you ever heard the band Casting Crowns? Like there's a band, maybe you haven't, it's a Christian band. That they're talking about Casting Crowns because Revelation says that when we get in front of Jesus, the award you just got, you give back, which is the weirdest thing. Can you imagine, like, in the Olympics, guy gets on the tallest podium, they put a gold medal around his neck, he steps off, he hands it back to the guy, and he was like, that was nice to wear it for a moment. You'd be like, no, he's taking that thing home. I earned it. And that's the thing, you get to heaven, you know Jesus, and for the things that we did, that we fulfilled, that God had planned for us to do in advance, those good works, there's, a, there's a rewards for that. But when we see Jesus and we see the nail prints and we realize, wait a minute, I didn't earn any of this. This was all him. This is all Christ living through me. This is all the Holy Spirit leading me to these things. I am holding a reward for which I did not earn. No amount of works could ever bring you into presence of God except for the works of Christ, the finished work of Christ on the cross. And that's what's so awesome. So if you came to Christ this week, let God do in you what he's doing in you. As he changes things and things are like, you're like, oh, I really felt guilty about doing that thing or whatever. Think of it this way. You just try to put a circle into a triangle. Well, what would you have me do instead, God? Let me look at your word. Great place to start is the book of John. I was talking to a girl in here earlier, and she just started reading that this week, which is phenomenal. Because um, a lot of people will be like, where, where should you start? You could start anywhere. The Bible's just awesome. But the book of John, a good solidification of the life of Jesus and all the things that he talked about, that's a great place to start. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all the story of that from kind of different camera angles. But John was like one of his closest friends. So I kind of partial to starting there, which is pretty cool. All right. Um, I have loved being with you guys this week. Like, it has been phenomenal. You guys have been really cool. Can't wait to see you again. Hopefully, if you're eighth grade, I don't know if I'm doing middle school only week next year. I might do a different week. Who knows? 
I'm not in charge of all those things. I'll do wherever they put me. But I um, hope to see a lot of you guys again. But even if I don't see you here, again at River Valley Ranch, um, if you know Christ, we're brothers and sisters, and we'll see each other for the rest of forever, which is pretty cool, all right? Um, let me pray with you guys. And if you still have questions, you're still struggling with, you know what, I don't know. Maybe it clicked for you tonight for the first time. Grab your counselor and say, you know what, I didn't do this yesterday, but I would like to follow Jesus. I would like to turn from my sins and follow him. Like this symbolized to where you could almost put that rock there instead of being like, this is what weighed me down recently. But like, hey, this symbolizes like all my sin and I'd like to give it over to Jesus symbolically and have that conversation with your counselors. Um, Nothing would joy them more, I promise you. All right, let's pray. Don't run out after the prayer. There's things to discuss. You have to know what's happening for late night activities. Otherwise, you won't know what's happening for late night activities. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for these guys and girls. What an amazing week it's been. Lord, they've still got a day left. It's gonna be cool. And tonight, and I just pray that you would continue to work in our lives. Thank you so much that you don't leave us the way you found us. You love us way too much for that. You're constantly changing us, renewing our mind, making us new. Help us not to fight against that. Help us not to, like Tommy, try to force the wrong things into our life that no longer belong there because you have freed us from that. We are free to really be free. Not so we can do what we want, but so that we are free to live how we were created to live. So we thank you for that. Help us to saturate our lives with your word so that we can hear from you the things you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.